0: Hi everybody and welcome. It's a beautiful spring day here in Houston, but our oil and gas industry is being battered by an almighty perfect storm. The double impact of COVID-19 demand collapse and a nasty supply glut overhang from the OPEC plus debacle has left our industry in a real mess. So today, in our panel session, we want to be looking behind the headlines at the impact on the current situation on our workforce. So that's you, our viewers. So over the next 40 minutes or so, as David mentioned, we have four expert panelists that will be joining us to talk about various aspects of the current situation. We have Susan Howes, VP of Engineering at Subsurface Consultants and Associates, Susan will be talking about layoffs and workforce in transition. We have Christian Spitzmüller, Professor in Industrial and Organizational Psychology at the University of Houston. Uh, she'll be talking about her research on the energy workforce outlook on COVID-19. Uh, Diane Chadwick-Jones uh, from BP, uh, she is the Human Performance Director of BP, and she'll be talking about how companies like BP are putting mental health and employee well-being uh, in, in the balance. And finally, Tom Willard, uh, Principal Partner at Environmental Resources Management, will be talking to us about the challenges of returning to work and managing that risk, and it's uh, forefront of many discussions currently. So obviously, it's it's very important that we uh, also try and address that. So with no further ado, I'm going to turn to Susan. Uh, and So Susan, you've been core um, in SP volunteering for many, many years in the Gulf Coast section. Uh, and you've been working uh, very centrally with the members in transition. Please tell us more about this program and what it, its importance and how it's helping. The
1: work. Thanks, Neil. Uh, We launched the Members in Transition program about four years ago in the Gulf Coast section. And we cover all sorts of career topics, job search, career transition, entrepreneurship, innovation. And and one of the key elements of our program is a monthly seminar series uh, with usually three or four different speakers. uh, A webinar series due to COVID-19 we're only doing it virtually and we're having the speakers broadcast from their homes. Uh, But our next event is actually open for registration now. It's May 8th, so that's a couple of weeks away. And the speakers will be talking about uh, cloud-based skills, uh, how to start a company, uh, the mentoring journey and preparing for unemployment. And and so we find that when we are able to have these meetings face-to-face, it provides a great opportunity for networking, So we hope to be able to return to a conference room soon, Uh, but right now they're available for uh, virtual interaction. Uh, We're also planning a career fair, a hiring event for upstream oil and gas professionals. Uh, We had one scheduled for March and we have postponed that until September, Uh, but 13 of the employers that had already registered are carrying forward with us until September. And so we will start the planning for that event in a conference call on May 15th, so volunteers are, are welcome to join. We have a number of discounted opportunities for members in transition in the Gulf Coast section because we want people to keep active in their SP membership. There's great resources that are available on our website, books and websites and all sorts of other resources. And in fact, some recordings of our previous seminars are available there too. And we have a job board so people can post their resumes and they can look for jobs that are posted.
0: That's really positive. So, you know, obviously the, uh, the industry layoffs and the furloughs are impacting uh, more than just SPE members. Can you say a little bit about how you're expanding the program uh, to other associations?
1: Absolutely. Well, we've been collaborating with more than 20 different professional societies on our hiring event and the APG recently approached us to expand this program to other cities in North America. And so in fact, we had a planning meeting last week where we're looking to expand to Midland, uh, Odessa, which is the Permian Basin section for SPE and to Denver. And so we'll be collaborating with APG and perhaps other professional societies. And and we really think this is best done locally uh, because you can get local speakers, you can have opportunities for universities or faith-based communities or or even local government agencies that can provide employment support, and, and so we would like to see this uh, spread to different parts of the world. Yeah, yeah. I was so about to say. You know,
0: obviously the, um, I mean, many viewers may ask, well, you know, this is just sort of very American centric, and it's partly the the nature of the American oil and gas industry that ramps up very quickly, employs a lot of people, and then. In the current situation, it ramps down very quickly and a lot of people lose their jobs. But obviously the tools uh, and the information that's available for members in transition, so the people that have been laid off, is available and important for other people in other locations uh, in the world. So, you know, uh, they can access some of this information or or a lot of this information through the SPE website, correct?
1: Absolutely. Uh, We have a... a page for the Gulf Coast section. And there's a a page for our committee that has resources there. Uh, We also wrote a paper that we delivered at the annual technical conference exhibition a couple of years ago about how to start one of these. And and in that paper, we gathered some of the best practices for conducting a job search. In many cases, a, a job seeker who may be quarantined right now can get started on the process of thinking about their skills and competencies and how to best uh, portray their, their brand and as they're looking for a job search, and they can also be conducting research on the companies that they want to approach. Uh, we're finding in Houston that many of the companies that are hiring are smaller companies and they may have started up within the past 10 years. And, and so you're going to want to learn about them. And, And so contacting individuals who work there or perhaps doing research, about how they started and what their product lines are is is a great way to spend your time while you're in quarantine. Uh, You also wanna think about how you're going to use your network uh, because we all know the best way to land a job is to use your network to do that. So reach out to your contacts and let them know that you're in job search mode and and make sure that you expand beyond your immediate circle of friends uh, to perhaps colleagues that you haven't talked to a while and and get back in touch with some of your former colleagues. Perhaps they'll be willing to give you references. And so it's a great time to do that legwork uh, now, while we're we're stuck at home. Uh, you can do that research, and you actually might be able to catch someone on the phone if you call them.
0: Yeah, no, that's really great advice. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a it's a maybe this this situation is a good opportunity for people to refocus and decide if they want to move. Uh, in a different direction in their careers and as you say you know this is that opportunity they can look through and do research as to where they want to go next and maybe can you say a little bit about what um maybe some of the newest skills that employers are are looking for in in the current workforce
1: absolutely well um data analytics is certainly an area of of interest for for many job seekers Um, there are a number of opportunities to get Uh, skills in that area. And and so you might want to be looking at um, taking some online classes, learning some uh, software skills, uh, perhaps get a certificate. Maybe you want to get your PE license or or a PMP uh, certification. There's lots of opportunities right now to enhance your skills Uh, within SPE. Of course, we have the SP Connect community. you can reach out and find out where the jobs are through colleagues there. There's um, SPE mentoring. We have virtual sections. They're called technical sections that you can collaborate with your colleagues in certain disciplines. And of course, right now there's a special in One Petro. You can get all those uh, technical. Yeah, that's right. For $5 price. So it's, it's a great mm-hmm. opportunity. So um, watch some of those webinars that are free for SPE members and, and learn about some of the areas where uh, you might want to advance your skills, and and perhaps it, it's something in the area of business leadership and management skills that you might use to enhance your technical competence.
0: That's great, thank you. Just one final question before we move on to, uh, to, uh, to uh, um, Christian. Are you seeing any similarities or differences with the current downturn uh, compared with say 2014, 15, apart from obviously the travel restrictions and the social distancing?
1: I, I think the challenge with this downturn as compared to previous downturns is usually our advice to job seekers is get out of the house. Go meet people for coffee, go to an SPE meeting, attend a conference. And and you can't do that right now, you're constrained. And and so now's the time to reach out virtually, use email and social media and, and pick up the phone and contact your colleagues. Um, That you've worked with in in the past and um you know plan ahead for times when when we return to work but now's the time that you can um conduct your job search um literally from, from your mouse. okay
0: thank you susan we'll come back to you later on in the broadcast
2: Want more insights from today's conversation? SPE Publications cover all aspects of the upstream oil and gas industry, from technology and careers to production and operations. Learn more about our peer-reviewed journals, magazines, books, technical papers, and technical reports. It's all at spe.org/publications. I'm
0: going to move on to Christian now. Thank you very much, Christian. Uh, obviously, uh, this time anxiety, uncertainty, and fear, stress are significant amongst the workforce. Your expertise in industrial and organizational psychology. Um, and last week, you presented uh, in a really excellent uh, University of Houston webinar, along with PESA and Pink Petro, about your recent research on worry and appreciation. In the energy workforce regarding COVID-19. Can you say a little bit more about this work?
3: Absolutely. So, um, so like many of you, you know, we were wondering what's going on in the energy industry. I mean, we hear, and I think Susan um, has provided some great comments about job insecurity and how we manage job insecurity in these days um, and layoffs. Um, so we wanted to know, so what exactly are the numbers like? What are what are what is the energy workforce experiencing, and what are policy implications for employers who are currently um, who are currently helping their workforce transition through this truly unique time? So one way that we wanted to see that. Was through a survey study, so we surveyed more than 450 people with a um, with an international research team partnering with Ramanan Krishnamurti at the University of Houston and Rona Flynn in um, in Aberdeen. And um, there's a few things we wanted to we wanted to look at. One of them was: Is this crisis truly different? from prior ones. I think all of us who've um, who've dealt with energy workforce issues for many years um, are used to, like Niels is elaborating on, the boom and bust cycles that are part of this industry. So we ask people, um, how they felt about the long-term prospects of this industry. And we also um, we also took a look at, so people who are much older, who've been in the industry longer, do they feel differently about this crisis um, than people who've only recently entered? So in other words, have has the experience with prior shocks prepared people for the current experience? And the answer to that is no, that this is really truly unprecedented for people who've been in the industry for a very long time, as well as obviously for people who joined more recently. What we also took a close look at is, um, so what do employees think about how how their employers on average have handled this crisis? And interestingly, um, the reactions were much more positive even than we had expected. So there were close to 90% of employees who said, their, their employers indeed have been pretty effective in in managing this situation and helping them helping them through it. So we took a closer look, running some um, running some data analyses, um, examining what exactly do companies do? where employees feel they're highly effective in in managing this crisis and in helping employees through it. And we found that three factors really indeed matter. The first one is whether the company had provided clear and honest, um, transparent information. The second one was how they helped manage the work-family interface. And the third one is really how how the company had uh, previously prepared for a global pandemic.
0: So, what are some of the effective policies that are sort of you have identified mm-hmm. from the survey
3: mm-hmm. so among them are there are, there are vast differences in how companies communicate with their employees how much information about business continuity and crisis management plans they share with employees our findings suggest that indeed from a policy perspective better off, even if it's enough news, sharing news, doing it in a transparent and consistent fashion. A second best practice and policy recommendation is to focus, and I know we always say that, on first-line supervisors' skill set in helping employees navigate the incredibly challenging work-family interface issues that we're seeing right now. Many of us have... Um, children hopping in the background today. Many of us have older parents who've moved in with us because nursing homes are no longer safe places at this, this, this day and time. So um, so employers that have trained their first line supervisors to be understanding of these issues, provide the needed flexibility and the support um, are much more successful in um, in navigating the transition.
0: That's, that's very encouraging to hear. Um, can you say a little bit more about, for example, within the sort of uh, context of, of the wider community, uh, are family work-family conflicts higher in certain sort of um, groups of, of uh, workers or are they uniform across mm-hmm. uh, the population?
3: Now, women do, even in 2020, Bear the brunt of work family interface issues. And I think in part that is due to, um, to different family structures of women who work in energy. So in our survey, we asked um, about the partners' or spouses' employment situation. And what we did find there is that on average, um, a woman energy worker had a spouse who worked 35, 40 hours a week. On average, men in the energy industry had spouses who worked um, between 10 and 20 or 10, 15 hours a week. So when you look at that, that um, poses um, the challenge of truly managing a dual career for many women, while that's not as much the case for men.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's that's interesting to see. Um, so obviously, you know, <clears throat> these kind of work-life balances and stress is is um, gonna weigh heavily on many people uh, Are there indications that people are, you know, we in in the oil and gas industry, we are very safety conscious. So are there indications that people are concerned about safety now under these present conditions?
3: Mm -hmm. So we looked at that from two angles in our study, Neil. So the first angle is we had some questions where we asked people whether they had, um, whether they had trouble sleeping, you know, trouble sleeping comes with a host of negative um, psychological and physical health consequences. And among the behavioral consequences is difficulty, you know, staying, staying focused. And we do see that there's a pretty significant portion of the workforce that's reporting um, trouble sleeping, because there's just too many things going on. And then we also ask specific questions, you know, so is your, um, is your priority on safety in any way, and when in any way affected? by this and what we're finding there is actually pretty encouraging that i think the work that's been done in the industry for decades with regards to building um a safe workplace culture there's always more work to be done and we can't relent on that ever but I think it's clearly showing that that's a huge emphasis, but, um, but that is something that I think needs to be watched very carefully as, you know, as staffing models change, reduction in forces take place, and the pressure on individual contributors um, increases to, um, to still get the job done and, and do it safely.
2: Much of the work of the Society of Petroleum Engineers is accomplished by members. Become a volunteer and use your knowledge and experience to influence SPE programs and activities. As a volunteer, you can enhance your leadership skills while meeting and working with other SPE members from across the globe. There are many opportunities to get involved, regardless of your experience, location, or experience level. To learn more about the League of Volunteers, visit SPE.org volunteer.
0: So that leads us neatly over to to Diane uh, over at BP. So Diane, just to continue on that note, in terms of of mental welfare, mental well-being, and safety, uh, you know, in your role as Human Performance Director at BP, uh, and you, there's been a lot of work done by BP over many years in terms of um, the workforce well uh, well-being. Can you say a little bit more about? what BP's efforts are currently in terms of the current situation, uh, work safety and and mental wellbeing.
4: Thank you, Nils, and and these fit very much together. So in BP, what we're doing is we're building upon our existing culture of care. So this culture of care underpins our core value of safety, um, that we know that our safety actions are most effective when we care about each other, because we're looking out for each other and showing care by listening and helping. And and this builds trust so that we can more easily speak up if something seems wrong. So in these times, uh, you know, when we're scared for our loved ones and our livelihood, and we're coping with extreme change and uncertainty, we're all touched by some sort of mental health issue, um, whether it's, it's me or my family or my, or, or my colleagues, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's all around us. Um, so looking out for each other and trusting each other to talk about problems is vital. And, and so what we're doing uh, is we're making talking about mental health to be a mainstream conversation, to make it OK to say, I'm having a hard time Or I'm having a dip in well being. It's it's okay to show vulnerability, Uh, you won't be judged. And it also helps to see change as a process. Um, I found the Kubler-Ross change curve to be useful in making sense of this. Um, So there's defined uh, stages like denial, anger, depression, which is a big dip, Um, acceptance. And we all go through these stages. It's normal. Um, Of course, we shouldn't assume that everyone is having a tough time. Uh, But but also, we shouldn't assume that everyone is fine, since the whole world is coming to terms with the changes we're we're facing. So so change affects all of us. And, and let me talk a bit about how it, it has affected me. So uh, when we were starting the UK lockdown, I started to feel overwhelmed, and I couldn't concentrate because I was worrying. And what would usually take me about 10 minutes to do would, would take me about an hour. Um, and, and my colleagues assumed that I was I was really busy, but but actually, in reality, I was in a kind of a frozen state. Um, however, when I realized what was going on, I knew I had to speak up to somebody who cared for me, who wouldn't judge me. And, and I told two of my colleagues and I felt like a, a big weight had been lifted. I shared my worries. Um, I gave myself some space to process the big changes that were happening, and and I came out the other side of this of this dip in well-being. Um, you know, part of it was for speaking up. Part of it was putting less pressure on myself, and part of it was focusing on doing the small things that I control could control. And in fact, I I started telling uh, more people about this, and and many said that they were feeling overwhelmed and frozen too. And, and that it was helpful to know that other people were feeling the same. And and that's what inspired me to, to share today. Um, yes, we're all having a tough time, but we can support each other uh, through a culture of care. And so I think kind of in summary, you know we're in the middle of a mental health crisis, everyone's affected. There are things that we can do to deal with this. Uh, speaking with others is a really important step Um, and fostering a culture of care in our teams allows people to speak about issues freely and it it really now is a time to check in on others.
0: That's a really important message to get across to people and and perhaps uh, sort of the silver lining in all of this is that social media has exploded so people are much more accepting of talking to each other over social media and In terms of mental health, I mean, to misquote Thomas Jefferson for a moment, all men and women are created equal. But in terms of mental health, we're not all equal, right? We, you know, we, we react in different ways to different or to the same stressful situation. So as you say, it's very important to reach out and communicate and talk to our work colleagues to make sure that they are uh, well and and are coping and that they can openly talk about some things. Yeah,
4: we actually do have some structures in place as well. So um, in support of our culture of care, we have employees have access to 24-7 confidential employee assistance program, which is, Also, open to family members. Uh, We've given free access to the Headspace app, which has meditation and and sleep tools. And of course, we have our local health teams providing specific support as and when needed. Um, So, you know, we've we've made a donation to to Mind, the mental health charity in the UK. And also, our CEO and chairman have actually donated 20% of their salary to uh, mental health charities. So, we're we're really um, try, you know, bringing this to the forefront and, and having it as an everyday conversation rather than something that in the past may have had some sort of st- stigma.
0: That's a really welcome uh, contribution and, and sort of ev- evolution in our sort of uh, corporate management and, and our workforce um, welfare engagement. So. Emotional intelligence is obviously something very important, both for our leaders, but also for the workforce themselves to actually be able to develop those skills and understand their own emotional intelligence. I'm just gonna quickly pass over to to Susan again and ask Susan, um, you know, emotional intelligence, is this something, a soft skill amongst the other soft skills that could be important for people to think about developing uh, in this transition period?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are some great resources on uh, emotional intelligence um, several good books and and Harvard Business Review has some resources I think we had some of those resources posted on the SD golf Coast section uh, members in transition page because a lot of times um, you know your your personality is as important as your technical skills when when you're looking for employment you want to find a place where, where you'll fit in well and and you want to find a group of people that, that you respect and, and that respect you. And, and I like what Diane was saying about uh, reaching out to people when, when you're experiencing a, a down day, because I think for a lot of people in job search, supporting each other is a great way to yeah. um, raise your spirits. And, Absolutely. and so yeah. times uh, you might be able to help someone to find a job lead that might not be right for you, but it might be right for your colleagues. So it's, yeah. it's great to support each other.
2: Are you considering becoming an SPE member? When you join SPE, you join a society of dedicated professionals just like you, working to address the technical challenges of the global oil and gas industry. SPE membership gives you the opportunity to make local and global connections and build a network of influential technical leaders from every discipline. Learn more at spe.org join.
0: I'm going to move on to Tom now, who's been patiently sitting on the end of our virtual couch. Uh, So, returning to work, we had a question in from the audience, you know, the uh, state of Georgia is about to open up its uh, uh, business activities again Uh, within the next 24 to 48 hours. You know, there's questions about what's the rest of the United States going to be doing, what's going to be happening in the oil and gas industry. So, Tom, obviously a very emotive time in terms of returning to work. Tell us more about what you're doing and your experiences and what you're seeing about how companies are trying to manage this risk of returning to
5: work. Sure. Thanks, Nelson. And thanks for inviting me to share some thoughts on this. So what I thought I'd do is talk a little bit about where we've been for the last 12 weeks, then talk about... Some of the dilemmas uh that our clients and we are facing in bringing the workforce back into the workplace and then talk a little bit about um how they're doing that how they're how they're bringing their employees back into the workplace and managing the risks so just you know we have been uh, you know we work globally so we have uh been working on this for the last 12 weeks started in china working as part of covid19 response teams mid-january um, in a range of sexto- sectors so healthcare retail extractives and initially we were we were tracking the virus tracking employees tracking government regulations and and via apps and and, and companies were asking us to you know uh predict where where, where it was going to go next um uh and then uh that shifted to sort of enterprise wide risk management business continuity planning and and developing Operating procedures for those essential facilities and those essential workers that had to work all the way through the pand uh, all the way through the pandemic, um, but just in the last two weeks, and I don't know whether this is a ray of sh- sunshine for everyone, we've been flooded with requests for return to work. Can you help us manage the return to work process the, the, and, and help us minimise the exposure risks of our employees? So it's a really interesting time globally. We, you know, um, some. You know some workers are are protesting because they're desperate to get back to work and and others are protesting because they they don't feel they're being adequately protected in the workplace. And in terms of in terms of you know health and safety, the, the, the rules haven't changed. Leaders have to do three things: provide a safe workplace. Provide workers with the tools and training and guidance to work safe, and then you know monitor that work is being done safely. But the complicating factor here is is the we're still learning about the virus, we're still learning about the hazard, um, about the behaviour of the virus itself, its virulence, um, its prevalence, the best means of control. And and therefore and also the guidance from from uh, governments and from the scientific sources is kind of confusing and sometimes contradictory. So it's a whole lot more difficult. So just briefly, just and lastly, so what what are our clients doing? So some of them are planning to get back to work. So that they're they're making sure they've got the best available scientific information, the legal information. Some of them are developing if you like, operational playbooks. So these are new sets of instructions uh, on how to deliver those operations through, you know, but, you know, with different shift patterns, um, uh, screening and testing and social spacing and cleaning and enforcement, all all the trying to do it in a COVID-constrained environment. So some of them are planning, some of them are developing, if you like, a, a new operational playbook and training their employees. And others have have actually got their workforce back in the workplace and are just monitoring very, very carefully. And for those clients, it's a case of sharing very rapidly what's going well and what's not. Because um, clearly, uh, it's just all the usual hazards, but with a couple more uncertain hazards thrown in.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. So obviously, the, you know, many business leaders are having to balance the equation of risk management, risk aversion in a way versus continuity of the business. So, and you know, oil and gas, we uh, in many locations in Texas, in other uh, states from the United States, but other countries, oil and gas workers are seen as essential employees. So they are at work in the workplace. At the same time, oil and gas companies have a lot of people uh, either laid off or furloughed or working from home in isolation. So that adds a complexity to the picture. So in terms of risk management, how is that, you know, how is that going to be managed, getting these different groups together again?
5: Well, I, I, I mean, the you know, the... The companies we're working for, um, all I can say is, is not easy because, particularly because, first of all, there's gaps in the workforce. There are some some workers have been laid off, others are sick, so won't be coming back to work, and in other cases, there's a lot of cross-skilling needed to be done because we need more of this kind of skill and less of that kind of skill. So actually, plugging the gaps uh, and is one thing plugging the skills gaps is one thing, and actually retraining people is another. And then, you know, actually, uh, what's your contingency? So, if you're working in shifts or in pods, and and one pod gets an infected worker, then then that group of people have to be quarantined. So you have to have a backup. So this. It's doable, it's absolutely doable. And again, I'm, I'm not just talking about oil and gas, I'm cr- talking across sectors, um, but it needs to be incredibly well planned uh, with very clear instructions, uh, extremely good straining, uh, training and, and, you know, the usual sort of hierarchy of risk control has to be applied. So, if you can eliminate the hazard by doing something automated or remotely, or engineering controls with partitions and and uh, ventilation, uh, and then you've got um, you know administrative controls. And actually, your last uh, resort is actually PPE. So, so the strange thing is, is everyone's desperately uh, chasing PPE, uh, but actually, uh, if you just apply normal. Uh, risk management processes to to trying to you know eliminate engineer out and an administrative controls it's it's not all about do we have the ppe to last to get back to work but many That's you know many organizations are managing to get their workforce back to work quickly and there will obviously be commercial advantages to doing that but no, you need to have the test kits. Sorry, you need to have the test kits, yeah. and you need to have the screening, and you need to have the systems in place, and you need to use technology, um, to to enable your workforce to work safely in the new the new normal.
0: Yeah, I I, I really liked your point there about it's not all about PPE, but it's about proper processes, and and a, a very significant part of that is the communication of those processes and and the procedures that are about to take place to the workforce what can the workforce do to support their management we heard from christian earlier that the workforce have been from her survey the workforce has seen generally very positive to how management have have dealt with um, the situation currently but what can what can the workforce do to support their management in this situation
5: so uh well in 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 some, I talked about a sort of operating playbook in some of the companies we're working for. The workforce is actually developing that playbook. They're coming up with the ideas of how to do. Uh, uh, s- Social spacing, how to do proper screening, how to—you know—they're actually involved in developing the solution, to, so that they're, they're involved in uh, working in this new normal situation, coming up with ideas. And actually, that's obviously when it comes from the front line; those that are going to be most exposed to uh, the hazard, the the, the virus. Uh, getting their feedback and input to this process is incredibly important. The other thing is is so, so helping design, if you like, the the, the new playbook. Um, the, the the other thing is is actually. And it's been said uh, earlier, that, you know, the cross-skilling. Um, so yeah. we've got clients that haven't got enough truck drivers, so they're retraining bus drivers to become truck drivers. You know, there, there's a real... Um, its that There are gaps in, in workforces uh, that, that, you know, it's, it's very volatile and there are plenty of gaps opening up. So reskilling and cross-skilling and learning new skills is vitally important. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to
0: bring in uh, Diane and Christian here at this point. So Diane, Christian... From your perspectives, um, return to work, just briefly. What, what are your observations about what Tom said, and, and just generally returning to work? Uh, Diane, first, maybe.
4: Well, I think it's it's all about keeping people safe, isn't it? So, we've got you know a huge amount of effort um, in this area with um, changing the the schedules, social distancing, um, testing. Um, you know, it, it is a, a, between the operations team and the and the health team. This is a massive effort, and and it's something that's, um, you know, I think, quite phased. I think that's the important yeah. thing is to think that, you know, that this isn't going to be over soon, and that our it, how we're looking at it is you know, how do we think about this in a measured way um, as a as a as a, a long marathon. Rather than something that's that's going to be quickly um, resolved.
0: Thank you, uh, and Christian. You know, in your research work, are you going to be looking at how the you know the return to work aspect? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. In fact, we have a um, a partnership on a second phase of our study. That is um, launching this coming Monday, where we're specifically looking at the return to work. And again, we've built partnerships with some industry associations to learn to launch that work. And we're trying to better understand what exactly do employers have to put in place in order for employees to be comfortable returning to work. What are the what are the practices that are that that are relevant, and what are things that you might put in place that really don't have profound impact? We're working with a team of um, of faculty of medicine public health and epidemiology experts and uh, we should have some preliminary results of that by the end of next week I wanted to briefly build on a comment that Tom made also I think the the cross-skill issue is a really significant one. And I think what we're seeing is that employers that have put a lot of effort into understanding and measuring the skill sets of their workforce and do that continuously, that they're at a significant advantage because they know exactly what the knowledge and skill profiles are and who can be redeployed to what kinds of other similar tasks, while employers that have, you know, much, much broader job descriptions are in a much more challenging position with a cross-skilling and redeploy.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Susan, uh, i bring you in here as well, if I can. Uh, so hearing that about the cross-skilling, um, you know, again, it feeds back to what can people do now in the current situation to improve their skill sets, and you mentioned earlier, you know, data analytics and that sort of thing. We talked a little bit about soft skills. What other skills do you think are going to be helpful and relevant for people to focus
1: on? I think a great place to start for SP members is to look at the uh, SP competency management system. And you can find that online, it's free for SP members. And, and you can uh, drill down to your discipline, your, your subdiscipline, and, and look at the expected technical skills in, in those areas. Um, other resources that we have are put out by SP's business management leadership program. And, and that may include some of the soft skills Uh, For instance, I'm a distinguished lecturer this year on ethics, and um, although my tour was cut short um, because of COVID-19, I was able to record my lecture in a webinar, and now it's available free on demand for SP members. And so you can uh, sort through those free SP webinars and sort them by your SP discipline or by soft skills and find ones that suit your purpose. They're generally about an hour long, and so they can provide you a great introduction to topics.
0: Thank you. Uh, we've got a couple of questions coming in about uh, these are, I uh, guess, from uh, students. So they're talking about internships that so will still be offered. So keep your studies going. Don't give up on petroleum engineering or any engineering subject. It's very important. There's a very bright future for you. The world needs oil and gas Niels. for its energy. A- and a I can add
1: to that, Niels. Please, uh, yeah. I- I'm on the advisory board for the um, Petroleum and Geosystems Department at. Uh, University of Texas and and we actually had a meeting recently with some of the students and and some of them had um, uncertainty regarding their internships um, because in many cases the the office in which they were planning to work has been closed due to COVID-19 and and so our guidance was you know continue to look for other opportunities if if the internship that you have planned has has now um, not available, look for other ways that you can use your summer wisely, and it may be uh, getting additional uh, education. Maybe you want to do a minor in business uh, to augment your petroleum engineering degree. Uh, Maybe you can do some volunteer work. Uh, Maybe you can solve some technical problems in other industries, Um, but don't wait for um, you know, the patrol and engineering internships come back, look for other opportunities. Yeah,
0: no, that's yeah. very good advice.
4: And, and in BP, what we've done is we've moved some of our internships to virtual. Uh, so we're doing virtual sessions um, with with um, the, those students and also looking into um, the opportunity for moving the dates. So that's the, the, cur- the current state at our, our end, but um, obviously it's a, a relatively fluid um, situation in terms of um, you know how things are going to work out but we're literally just going into these webinars and day in the life and and interacting with leaders in BP all in in a virtual space over a series of weeks that's that's what we're up to at the moment.
0: Thank you thank you I mean that's sort of the message there then is be patient be persistent and be resilient you know and don't give up on, on what you're doing. Uh, be strong about it. Um, one final question to you, Susan. Uh, obviously, a very tumultuous time, but given your experience, are you optimistic about the future for oil and gas?
1: Absolutely. You know, we, we have a strong industry. Our industry provides uh, the resources, the power of the world, and and we will come back and, and need it for our, our standard of living. And, and so as a professional society, we need to support each other and, and that, um, you know, resilience is important that we uh, collaborate together and make sure we're supporting each other through this very difficult time. And I think in many cases, as leaders, it takes courage to lead a team yeah. through this big of a crisis. And and so um, support your leaders, uh, leaders be transparent in your communications, and, and I think we will be back. There will be opportunities in the future.
0: Uh, thank you, everybody, uh, the panel. We could talk forever about this. I mean, there's a lot of very interesting discussions. So, uh, just to the audience, there's lots of links for everybody to look at at uh, the end of the of the broadcast. But once again, to all our panelists, Susan, Christiane, Diane, Tom, thank you very much for your contribution to an excellent uh, discussion. All right, thank you. Uh, goodbye from us. Have a great day. Stay safe. Thank you.